Um, I think it's possible to go to church for decades and not hear one message from the book of Habakkuk. Um, I think that's criminal. The more you look into this tiny little book, it's a little book with an awfully, awfully big message. You can look into three chapters over the next four weeks, the month of March. We're going to be looking into the pages of Habakkuk. And it's my prayer and hope that as we look into this small book with a big message, we're going to understand history. Now, that's quite a claim. And we want to get our bearings. Here's a map of the times. There's a tiny little uh, conurbation, a country called Judah, just south of uh, that big blue arrow. You can see Jerusalem at the top of Judah. And it's surrounded in the 7th century with this political map. You've got the might of Egypt uh, to the uh, your east, uh, west. To the west, it's my east. Uh, So to the west you've got Egypt, to the east you've got the might of the Assyrian Empire and the Babylonian Empire crowding around this tiny little uh, country called Judah. And it's in Judah, 7th century BC, 2,800 years ago-ish, that Habakkuk heard from God's voice through his spirit and wrote this book. It's a conversation, as uh, Dave has said so helpfully. We don't quite know how to say his name. It's a kind of an Akkadian name. The word a name Habakkuk means wrestler. Very helpful to understand Habakkuk's name. But this is not a 2,800 year old book that's long ago and far away, a bit like Star Wars in a distant time, a distant universe. The reason I want us to look at this book is because it's very, very applicable to our context today. Now, every preacher says that, but I want to prove it to you. I want to show it to you. So here are four words. I want us to see what Habakkuk saw, what he did, what he heard, and therefore what it means. Okay, four words for you. Saw, did, heard, meant. Let's have a look at the very beginning. What did Habakkuk see? Verse 3. What did Habakkuk see? Why do you make me look at injustice? Pretty general word that uh, Habakkuk is using more uh, helpfully. It's evil, sorrow, grief. God, before my eyes I can see absolute carnage. And it troubles my spirit. I'm in this position where you've placed me in Judah. And I can see evil 24-7. I can see injustice to the max. And it causes me deep heartache and concern. In the 7th century BC... Josiah had just been on the throne of Judah. He was a great king. He ruled with justice and equity. He loved God's word. But his sons didn't. Where he was great, his sons were an absolute train wreck. And they let injustice reign and evil prevail. They were terrible kings. There's moral corruption going on in this this little country called Judah. God is not on the map. God is not on the horizon. He's far from Judah's experience. And that's why verse 4, Habakkuk says, Therefore the law is paralysed. Your word is not being treasured or honoured. Your word is not being heard or obeyed. So there's this great military threats from Egypt on this side. There's Assyria and Babylon on this side. They're surrounded by these great military superpowers. Politically, but spiritually, they're nowhere as well. Evil times all around. And so to paraphrase, this is what uh, Habakkuk is feeling and saying in verses 2 to verse 4. God, are you there? 
God, do you care? Why aren't you doing anything? Why do you do nothing? Why do you tolerate all of this that I can see before me? Why are you letting this happen? Why are you sitting on your hands? Why are you absent, Lord? Are you there? Lord, do you care? Kind of a hum going on. Can we do anything about that? Is that me? You want to put it on my chest here? It's the projector. It's the projector. Great. Power from above. Now, the reason all these questions are going on in Habakkuk's spirit is this. There is something in our DNA that I think, it looks like kind of a road sign. We think in our DNA, it's an American road sign, and better days are just ahead. Whether we're in the post-war era, where we think nothing could be as bad as the 1940s, the 50s, 60s, 70s, it's just life from now on is going to be on the upkeep. It's going to be on the upswing. There's going to be great times ahead. I think there's something in our DNA that says February is the wettest month on record. Spring's just around the corner. There's something in our DNA that says I've just lost this much money in my pension scheme. Therefore, the next 10 years is going to be smooth sailing. There's something in my spirit and heart that always, always looks ahead that says if this has been a bad bum year, the next 10 years are going to be great. But life doesn't work like that. There's not always better days ahead. Sometimes there are storms ahead. Sometimes there are storms to come. There are hard times in the future. I mean, just think about where we are right now. Michael prayed about some of this. Think about the last decade, the last 10 years. In the last 10 years, especially the last three or four, we've seen huge political upheaval in the United Kingdom, let alone globally. We've seen the rise of global terrorism, the rise of the lone wolf strategy, where the wrong person with the right technology can do tremendous damage. We've seen ISIS rise and fall. We've seen this global pandemic of a virus that's gathering steam, and rightly people were very, very concerned and trying to act wisely and prayerfully. Financially, the markets have tanked at least once. Billions of pounds lost in one day on Friday alone. That affects all of us. And we live in a time in our society where good, but what is evil is called good, and what is good is called evil. That's where we are. We need to know our times. That's just the last decade. We can look further back. And so we're tempted to say if this year and this decade has been so hard and turbulent and challenging, then the next 10 years are going to be great. But sometimes there are hard times ahead. And that's why we need to see what Habakkuk saw. Habakkuk saw evil times. He felt, God, are you there? Do you care? Have you abandoned us? That's what he saw with his eyes. So what did he do? Point number two. What did he do? That's what he saw. What did he do? How did he respond? He did two things. Look at verse three with me. He was incredibly bold. I don't mean that with his hairline. He was incredibly bold. Look at what he says in verse three. He's talking to God. He's accusing God. The only people who laughed at the hairline joke are those with hair, by the way. Why do you tolerate wrong? Why do you tolerate wrong? That's so bold. He's challenging God. And he's saying down in verse 12, something even more, more remarkable. Look at verse 12. It's so confrontational. To paraphrase, he's right in God's face. Oh Lord, are you not from everlasting? Are you not infinite? Are you not great? Are you not omnipotent, all-powerful? 
One writer who's, who knows a lot more about the Bible than I has said there's nothing more confrontational in the whole Hebrew Bible, the whole Old Testament, than what Habakkuk is saying now. He's right up in God's face, prayerfully. God is not being approached with courtesy, reverence, or respect. He's confronting God. He's raw in his emotions. He's in absolute anguish. I thought you were great and infinite, but you're not. I thought you were wise and purposeful and powerful, but you're not from what I can see. Verse 2 to 4. Why are you letting evil and injustice reign? Look at my database. Look at my evidence base. Look at society. There's chaos. We're surrounded by these uh, great political mights and forces and there's injustice to the max in my society. You're supposed to be bringing salvation in a lost world and all I can see is decay and heartache. And then God speaks, verses 5 to 11. And he says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, this mighty nation, the most bloodthirsty, ruthless nation of the known world at that time. And they're going to come in, they're going to sweep across the world, and they're going to come in and crush and conquer your country. That's what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk says, call that an answer? I asked you a question, that's the answer I get? And in verse 12, he's wrestling. That's why he's called Habakkuk. He's wrestling, he's challenging God, saying, how can you behave like that if this is who you are, if this is what I know of you? That's the first thing he does. He's so bold. He's so confrontational. He's so raw. He's so emotional. Here's the second thing he does. Verse 5 to 11, God answers him because he's praying. He's praying. There's another example in verse 2 we look at next week. In this rawness, this challengingness of God, Habakkuk does not tweet. He does not uh, write a letter. He does not stuff his emotions down. He processes them before God in his rawness, in his emotionality, were that to be a word. Habakkuk does not consider walking away from God. He does not consider stopping obeying God. He does not consider stopping praying to God. He processes all his emotions right before God's throne and says, I don't get it. This is who you are. How can you behave like that? I don't understand. I don't compute. God, I think you're contradicting yourself. How can you be all wise and all knowing and loving and that this is going on in my experience? Look at what he says in verse 12. After this confrontational moment, how does he entitle address God? In the same verse, verse 12, he says, My Holy One. He's right in God's face. He's being confrontational. You could say he's being almost aggressive towards God. I don't understand. He's got a clenched fist in prayer. And yet in the same verse he says, you're my holy one. I know you. Here is Habakkuk and what's he doing? He's faithfully wrestling as he challenges God. He's faithfully wrestling in prayer. He's not trying to run away from God like Jonah. He's right there with probably with tears down his face, but he's there trying to figure out what God is doing before God. That's the point. If you have a a traditional religious mindset, you will never pray like this. If you have a traditional religious mindset, you will say, I can't can't come to God like that. God would zap me with his uh, spiritual bazooka. 
I need to treat God with reverence and respect and awe. And all of that is true. But in my rawness of emotions, God will never want to hear my prayers. I need to put on a stiff upper lip. I need to keep going and doing the right things. You would never ask these questions if you have a traditional religious mindset. If you have a modern mindset, then you have a different problem. If you have a modern mindset, well, of course God will want to hear from me. I need God sometimes, and most of the time I'm, I'm pretty pragmatic. I can work out how life works and how uh, God should be working in my life. I don't see uh, with my huge self-confidence why I need God very much at all, actually. That's a modern mindset. I don't see why God is allowing all this suffering and all this evil in the world. Therefore, I'm not going to believe with him. I'm certainly not going to pray to him. What could he do if he allows this? That's the modern mindset. And Habakkuk says, well, both are incredibly weak. With all your God-given emotions, with all your huge questions about the suffering and evil in the world and in your life as well, the only place to seek understanding is before God with tears and with all your big and hard questions. Verse 12, he's honest, he's bold, he's emotional. But notice what he he doesn't think of leaving. He says, my holy one, I can't figure out life with you how on earth would I figure out life without you? One of the disciples said to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. If we turn away from you, where are we going to go? And Habakkuk is saying that in an Old Testament context. Here is Habakkuk, this wonderful picture of faithfully wrestling with God in prayer. I don't understand what's going on in my life and in your world. Help me to understand You're great and you're good, but I can't see the evidence of it. Help me to see what you're doing in my life. You're my holy one. This kind of person is very, very, very rare. I I don't pray like this. When it's not going my way, I'm very easy. I, I just don't pray. Habakkuk is a wonderful model of prayer. There are some prayers like this. You can look at Psalm 88. You can look at Psalm 39 when the psalmist says, Leave me alone, God. That's raw, that's emotion. It's pouring out your heart before the Lord and then leaving it there. Job, Job gets close to kind of speaking and praying like this. Jeremiah, places in Jeremiah that you get close to this as well. But God's grace makes makes faithful prayer wrestlers. And as you wrestle in prayer, that produces God's grace in your life as well. That's how it works. And maybe you might be thinking, hang on, this doesn't compute with my understanding of Christianity. I thought Christians had it all together. And here you have someone who's a Christian who's wrestling with God. It doesn't compute, doesn't understand. The very presence someone has re- I read this week, the very presence of such prayers in the Bible is a witness, is, a, is evidence of God's understanding. He knows how we speak when we are desperate. There's nothing wrong, says the Bible, with raw emotion and praying with raw emotions. Lord, are you there? Do you care? Lord, why? Lord, when? Lord, who? Lord, how? That's okay to pray. It's in the Bible. It's the book of Habakkuk. That's how you deal with evil times. You come before the Lord and say, you're good, you're great, because the Bible tells me so. I don't feel it, but the Bible says so. So please help me to understand, why is this happening in your world? Why is this happening on your watch? That's what Habakkuk has done. What did he hear? Point number three, what did he hear? Verse five and six. Notice what uh, God says. I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. 
You're not going to get it, even if I told you from A through to D what I'm going to do. Verse 6, I'm raising up the Babylonian Empire, that ruthless, impetuous people. They're going to sweep across the whole earth. And Habakkuk says, why? Why are you going to do it like that? Well, I could tell you, but you wouldn't understand, God could have said. I'm going to bring more injustice, more violence into your life, because through that, I'm going to do my will in the world. Very hard message for Habakkuk to grasp. But God would have said to Habakkuk, as he says to all of us, don't judge me by your own time scales. I don't work in weeks. I work in decades and centuries and over and through eternity. Don't judge me by your own parameters. I'm going to raise up the Babylonian Empire. They're going to sweep in. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to carry off some people to exile. But through them, they will do my will. Now, let's zoom out with our wide-angle lens. If this had not happened in the 6th century, what would have lost? What would have happened? So in came the Babylonian Empire. They, they swept over uh, Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They, not one stone was laid upon another. And then they took a load of Jewish people away in the dispersion. And they were spread around, spread around the world. And when the gospel came in the book of Acts... All these synagogues that had been kind of synagogue planting, that's where the church planting idea came from, synagogue planted around the then uh, Roman world in the first century. Who were the people that were most receptive to the gospel? It was not the Jewish people. It was the God-fearing people in every synagogue, wherever Paul and Peter and Stephen proclaimed God's truth as the apostles went out. Who was it that heard God's news that Messiah had come? It was the God-fearing Jews and the God-fearing Greeks and the God-fearing Romans. Messiah had come. And that all happened because God used the Babylonian Empire to come in the 6th century BC and carry off many of his people into captivity. Some returned, some rebuilt. Nehemiah and Ezra tell us that. But in God's great eternal time scale, these actions of absolute evil and conquest And power and might were used to further the gospel into the centuries ahead. Think of China in 1953. Every single Chinese missionary was kicked out by the Communist Party. 100 years, a century's worth of missionary endeavour looked like it was completely wasted and ruined. Now, there's up to 300 million Chinese Christians in the borders of China alone. What happened when uh, the Communist Party seemed to do its worst? Chinese Christians built the uh, indigenous Chinese church. They started to do it more helpfully, more, uh, more better, if that's a phrase, than the Western Christian missionaries. It started to grow organically and indigenously, and the underground church was formed. Think what God could do in the next century through 300 million Chinese Christians. In 1953, it looked like it was uh, an absolute travesty for the gospel. I'm going to do something so amazing in your days, you're not even going to believe it if I told you. This applies to big global stuff, and it applies to big stuff in your lives as well. These are the words that uh, we've sung already today. Let me paraphrase. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform... He is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread 
are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. That's what Habakkuk saw. That's what Habakkuk saw. And that's how he was able to face evil times. So what? What does it mean? Point number four, really quickly. Verse five. Verse five says, I'm going to do something so amazing in your day. If I told you, if I explained it to you, if I got out a whiteboard, if I sent you a PowerPoint, you would not understand it. I'm going to do something out there in the nations you would not believe. I'm going to bring salvation out of judgment. Where you see injustice, I'm going to bring peace. Where there is darkness, I'm going to bring light. And when we zoom forward to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, verse 38, Paul is speaking in a synagogue. He's speaking to not yet Christian people. And he's saying this as he preaches the gospel. God raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. And then Paul says this. Where have you heard this before? Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look. And be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Hang on, Habakkuk, in Habakkuk's time that applied to the Babylonian Empire, coming in and swooping and taking God's people away. And then Paul says, uh uh-uh, Habakkuk was talking about Jesus. I'm going to do something you'd never believe, even if it was explained to you. I thought he was talking about the Babylonians. No, Paul says he's talking about Jesus. And it's this wonderful biblical principle that God always brings. Light out of darkness. Where there is suffering, he will bring relief. And how can you know that for certain? Because of the cross. Because of the cross, the supreme and ultimate expression of God doing something so amazing that even if it was explained to you, you wouldn't believe it, is the cross of Christ. It's the cross of Jesus. I don't understand, says Habakkuk, and says me, I don't understand why you put up with injustice. I don't understand how you can bring salvation if you're holy. I don't understand. And Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. And God says, the cross explains it all. God is the holy one of verse 12 of chapter 1 of Habakkuk. And because he is holy, justice must be meted on our sin. How can God do that? Justice and mercy meeting together on the cross of Jesus. Jesus took our burden. He paid our penalty. He took the judgment upon himself. And on the cross you see Jesus, not just as the suffering servant of Isaiah, he's also the ultimate Habakkuk. His Habakkuk, he's confused, he's wrestling. Habakkuk is also angry. He's upset, he's wrestling with God and so does Jesus. He may not be angry but he's wrestling Where are you, Father, he says in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet he's faithful, just like Habakkuk. Habakkuk points to Jesus. Father, is there any way out of this? If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. There's Jesus wrestling with his father on the night before he dies for the sins of the world on the cross outside Jerusalem. Habakkuk felt abandoned. Jesus was abandoned. And because Jesus was abandoned, you never will be. You may feel that God has left you, but he never will. Why? Because he left his son. Poured out our sin upon his shoulders. Turning his back, the father upon the son. That broken relationship that had been perfect 
throughout all eternity was broken on the cross so that we might know him, so that we might be restored to him. That's what the book of Habakkuk is all about. It helps us to understand all of history. And when you listen to Johnny Erickson, it's so helpful. And when you look at Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, you recognise that dark things and dark experiences and dark seasons and dark decades and dark days can come upon us all. But that never means that God has abandoned us. Dark times do happen to people that don't deserve it. That's how it happened to Jesus. Maybe that's how it's happening to you. But God wants us to know that there is a reason for everything that he does. Someday we'll know what it is. But until then, we're called to pray faithfully, wrestling as Habakkuk did, in good days and certainly in bad days. Let's pray.